seems fitting to start the week out with a reading from the book of Exodus, chapter 33. Starting with verse 12, this is the, the origin of the theme itself for camp this year. And that was Exodus chapter 33, starting with verse 12. And Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, and that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth? And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. For thou hast found grace in thy sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. I think it's important to know the the context of these verses before we go into them further. This was a time in which the people of Israel had left Egypt, and they were now wandering through the desert, and they were being led by Moses, who was ultimately being led by God. And immediately before this, this conversation between God and Moses, um, it was a time when the Israelites had built the, the golden calf, this idol that they had, had prepared and started to worship because they were not able to stay faithful to God or not able to, to wait on God. And so they built this calf. God became very angry with the people. And basically he said, you know, he was talking to Moses almost you know, as a friend would talk to a friend. And he told Moses to go to the promised land, but I'm not coming with you. Uh, Let me read it specifically, verse 3. Unto a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of thee. For thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. And so, you know, God had this land that was promised to the people. And he said, go, go to that land. It's flowing with milk and honey, but I'm not going with you. I'm I'm just too too frustrated with you. You're too stiff-necked. You're too stubborn. You're not faithful to me. Why would I go with you, this, these people that just are, are so wayward and so easily turned aside to idols? And so the, from, from that, we see the response of Moses that he had with God and almost this, this plea of, you know, we have this promised land, but we can't go by ourselves. I mean, that's what makes us a special people is that, you know, we are the people of God, and God is with us, and God is leading us. And so Moses is really pleading with God and begging him at this point of, you know, you're the source of everything for us. You're what makes us special. You're what gives us the strength that we need to get to the promised land. You know, how can you just leave us to go by ourselves? And then in verse 14, God says, you know, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. So he, he gives that assurance to Moses that, okay, I will be going with you, and I will, I will give you rest when you get to that promised land. Then in verse 18, after some more discussion with God, Moses had a, a very interesting request. I believe it's a request we'll be talking about a lot this week since it is the, the theme of camp. 
You know, even after God had said, all right, I will go with you. I will, I will bring you to this place and give you rest. God, Moses still said to God, you know, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And I think, you know, Moses was aware that God was with him, but he needed that extra assurance. I think we all often need that extra assurance from God of, all right, I know you say you're with me, and I know you say that you're powerful, but, you know, I, I need to see your glory just to, to be sure that, I, you know, I really really am close to you, that I really have this faith that is, is just being proven by the glory that you're showing me. And when we think about glory in this sense, it's really the, the splendor or the magnificence or the power of God. And so that's what Moses was asking to see is, you know, show me your power, show me your splendor, show me just everything that's so awesome and amazing about you. <clears throat> and so we can read on verses 19 through 23 that God does, does grant this request that Moses made. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So again, God is just establishing, you know, he's the ultimate authority. He's the ultimate power. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, when my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cleft of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not, shall not be seen. So God's glory was so great, was so powerful, was so magnificent, that while he was able to show it to God, it was only part of his glory. He said, you know, no one can see me face to face. No one can see God's glory and live. No human is good enough or, or able to just comprehend that. And so he said, I'll put you in this little, this little cleft here in the rock, and I'll pass by you and cover your face, and as I'm passing by, I'll take my hand off your face so you can see me from behind. And at least, you know, you'll see the backside of me. You'll see the back of my glory. It's, it's just a small part of my glory, but you'll see that. And, you know, that will be the evidence that you know, I truly am powerful and majestic for you. And so we granted that request, and, and that glory of God was really, I think, an underlying theme for the entire New Testament, this power that God had, this majesty that God had, that you know, no one could see him, no one could touch the ark when they weren't allowed to, all these things that we, we see in the Old Testament of God establishing his glory. It was something awesome to behold. Uh, if we turn to Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork, and day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. So again, you know, even in the Psalms it talks about evidence that we have for God's glory of the planets and the moon and the sun and the stars and the great mountains and you know, hurricanes and the miracles that he performed. All these great feats were just another example of how powerful and majestic God was. And to some extent, the Jewish people did experience God's glory. You know, Moses saw the back of God and saw his glory in that way. They saw their deliverance from several persecutions. They, they saw the miracles of God, and they saw nature around them that was evidence of that glory. But they were also waiting for God's glory. They had seen a part of it, but they were still waiting for more of God's glory. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 40. <clears throat> And we'll see that there was something they were still waiting for. And starting with chapter 3, 
I'm sorry, verse 3 of chapter 40. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And so we have this great prophecy that, you know, you, you've seen my glory to some extent through your experiences and through the experiences of your forefathers and the, the heroes of the faith that we know about in the Old Testament. But then the prophet Isaiah came and said, you know, God's glory is going to be revealed. You haven't seen God's glory yet, truly. And, you know, for generations and generations, they were waiting for that glory. The question that we have is, you know, what... What glory were they expecting? What glory were they anticipating? And how did they envision that glory? They're, they were used to the glory of God, again, being you know, his mighty miracles and his, his awesome power and his splendor. And that's what they were anticipating. That was the glory they were expecting to come and be revealed to them. Let's go on now to the New Testament, and we'll see that perhaps there was a, a different perspective on God's glory that, that they were not anticipating. <clears throat> I'm going to Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 7. Actually, we can start with verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, and keeping watch over their flock by night. And though the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was in the angel of was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. So it's the Christmas story, I think a, a familiar story to all of us. And we know that the shepherds were out in the field with their flocks, and it was a quiet everyday evening, most likely, and then suddenly this angel appeared. And in verse 9 he said, you know, the angel came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were sore afraid. And further down in verse 13, after the angel had foretold that the birth of Christ had taken place, Then with that angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So this angel came and had this amazing message for these shepherds. And then the entire sky was filled with this angelic choir praising God and and declaring his glory. You know, we can think what a powerful, majestic, splendid scene that must have been. But I don't think that is what 
Isaiah was talking about. Still, that's the power of God. That's the, the majesty of God. But I don't think that's the glory of God that Isaiah was talking about. So if we go further down, verse 16, And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. I think that's the true glory of God that the prophet was talking about so many generations before that. You know, we, I think we have such an idealized or romanticized view of what the manger scene was like. Um, you know, from Christmas cards and manger scenes and all that, we have you know, Mary just greeting the shepherds and the baby happily sleeping in his manger and the, the oxen and the sheep smiling down looking at him. It was all just you know, this, this perfect little cartoon scene. But I don't think that's the reality of the situation. If you truly think about this, this situation, he was born in a stable. And Mary was probably mortified to have to give birth to her son, to give birth to the Savior of the world and God's son in this stable, to push the straw and the manure out of the way and give birth to her baby, to put her baby in this manger. And again, a manger is a trough. A manger is filled with straw and feed and animal saliva and whatever else is left in there. This is not some happy little place to put a baby. And yet that's the way God chose to have his son come into this earth. That is the glory that Isaiah was prophesying. And so we can ask ourselves, you know, what, what kind of power is that? What kind of majesty is that? There, there doesn't seem to be any, any glory whatsoever in that scene. And I don't think there is if we're thinking about, you know, the Old Testament and again, the, the heavens declaring the glory of God. That, that is one facet of the glory of God. That's, that's one marvelous part of God. But if we look at Christ now, we see that there is another part of God's glory, and that's his love. God certainly is still majestic, and God certainly is still powerful and still above us all, and you know, the creator of the universe. But God also loves us. And God sent us this child as an example of his love and as an example of his glory. If we turn now to the last section of verses in John 15, we'll see the very very words of Christ. And these words really, really show us that love, really demonstrate that love to us. John 15, we'll start with verse 9 and go through 13. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. And again, Christ is now talking to his disciples. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. And this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. And greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And so once again, this was a true transformation of, of what the Jewish people were expecting. This is a complete turnaround from this great Messiah that they were anticipating, this king that would come and, and push aside the Roman emperor and push aside the Roman soldiers that were persecuting them and would, would be their king and would be their political ruler and would bring them back to this situation of glory as a nation. You know, that's not who was coming for them. Again, this baby born in a stable 
was coming for them. That was the glory of God. But if we read through this, you know, that glory, as seen in the love of Christ, is far greater than the glory and majesty of, you know, natural things and perhaps miracles that we see. For again, as God has loved me, so have I loved you. You know, God loved Christ more than anything. He was his own son. He was himself. And yet Christ had that same love for his disciples. Christ had that same love for all of us. So Christ reminds them to stay in my love as well. If you keep my commandments, if you follow what I teach you, if you follow what I've shown you, you will abide in my love. And even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So again, you know, Christ was the, the ultimate example of faithfulness, the ultimate example of following God's will in his life. And we see that he was very successful in that, obviously. He, he died for us. He rose again. He, he took away our sins. I mean, that was his purpose, and he, he most certainly accomplished that. And so Christ is saying, you know, just as I was able to do that, you will be able to do what I need you to do because the love that I have for you is the same love that God has for me. And these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. So, you know, this joy of Christ, who again is the, the author and the, the creator of joy itself, of love itself, he's saying, you know, because of, of my love for you, if you follow me, if you're faithful to me, my joy will stay in you, and my joy will be complete in you. You know, that's something that we should be pursuing now, is this joy that, that never finishes and never ends, this joy that can't be taken away, this joy that comes because of the peace we have with God, because, again, Christ allowed himself to die for us and to be reconciled with God. And finally, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And greater love hath no man than this, that a man may lay down his life for his friends. So once again, Christ was the ultimate example of love for us because he died for us, because he went through everything that he did in his life for us. You know, he was a king in heaven. He was the son of God. He was, he had all that you could have. Apostle Paul says, you know, he was rich and he became poor so that we in our poverty could become rich. You know, he gave up everything again to go to that stable and to live a life of difficulty and of hardship and of poverty and of, of hard work to finally be tortured and killed for us. And so that is the glory of God. That is the love of God that we have as an example. And so, you know, let's focus this week on, on Christ as the, the ultimate example of God's glory. We have just seen now how, how he was God's love and how glorious that was. But we also know that, you know, God was able to show his power and his majesty through Christ, through the transfiguration, through, through conquering death and rising again through his ascension. You know, that was also the power and the majesty of God being shown to us. And then if you, if you read in Revelations, there's certainly a time when Christ will be coming back, and he will be coming back as a conqueror and a majestic and powerful and glorious king. You know, that's nothing to be... Nothing to be denied. Nothing that we can take lightly. I mean, we, we know that Christ came in a humble way in the first place. But the second time when he is coming back, he will have power and he will have majesty. And he will still have his love for us. And so he will be the glory of God in every way possible for us. And so, you know, just to, to reflect again on that privilege that we have. When Moses asked God to show me 
your glory. God said, no, you can't see me face to face. I'm, I'm too great. I'm too powerful for you. But I can cover your eyes and you can see just a part of me or a part of my glory. But if you read then in the New Testament of the nativity scene and the, the birth of Christ, these shepherds were able to come and they were able to look at God face to face. You know, they saw that glory. They were able to experience that. And you know, that same privilege is available for all of us. God's glory is no longer something to, to be scared of. It's something to be in awe of, certainly. But it's something that is prepared for all of us and something that we can partake of. And you know, that, that privilege can't really be described. I can't really express to you the, the amazing gravity of that, that you know, we are able to be loved by God and that we are able to claim to be children of God and to be brothers and sisters of Christ. You know, that's, that's, something, not, that's nothing to say lightly, but it's something to be so, so joyful about and so thankful for. So as this week of camp begins, there are, I think, a lot of, of ways to look at God's glory. And I think it's a very exciting theme for us, a very exciting topic, because there are, again, just you know, so many ways to explore it. There's certainly no, no way to exhaust the topic of God's glory. I've just got a couple of, of questions that I've written down as I was thinking about this message and I was thinking about this week of camp of, you know, reflecting on God's glory. So the one question is, you know, how can I prepare myself for God's glory, to see God's glory? How can I demonstrate God's glory to other people? You know, it's not just something that we experience for our own benefit or for our own encouragement, but it's also something to show to other people. And also, you know, what circumstances in our lives will prepare us for God's glory or will open our eyes to God's glory. And whether those are pleasant circumstances or whether those are very difficult circumstances, what types of these events in our lives will just show us God's glory without, without a doubt? And then, you know, finally, will we be able to, to put aside our own ambitions? I know there's many facets in my life, or many areas in my life where I, I have very obvious examples of just a failure of my own ambition or a failure of my own attempts at glory. You know, will, we, will we be able to put aside those failed attempts and surrender to God and be truly willing to follow him and to follow his commandments as Christ was saying to his disciples? And you know, through that faithfulness and through that ability to follow his commandments, will I then be able to see God's glory? And, you know, put aside all of my my thoughts of what glory truly were, or perhaps my thoughts of, you know, how can I get a little taste of glory or perhaps self-glorification? You know, can I push that all aside and accept God's true and ultimate glory? And so those are questions for us to think about this week and, you know, hopefully questions that we will answer as we have our discussions and have more, more messages of, you know, there, there's just so many ways to look at God's glory. And again, it's, it's such an exciting and such a rich topic to be discussing this week. So finally, as we, as we close this message, I, I want us all to, to be able to focus this week with our hearts and with our minds on, on God's glory. And I wish that we all would be able to come before God and come before Christ and say, you know, show me your power and show me your majesty and show me your splendor, but also show me your love and then through all of that, you know, we will truly see and we will truly taste and we will truly experience the, the glory of God. And so again, my, my prayer and hope is that we all will, will do that this weekend in the coming weeks, just to come before God and, and really say and understand 
what it means as we're saying it, but to truly say, you know, show me your glory.